Hello and welcome to another edition of the Onside Kick Family Hour SB Nation's NFL podcast. With me, as always, are Danny Kelly and Stephen White. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing great. Excellent. I'm uh, assuming you guys are at least uh, 13 PSIs yourself. <laughs> I am this morning for sure. I might be a little bit under, but, you know, <laughs> still regulation. <laughs> well, that's sort of the main thing because, you know, you want to – we don't want anyone um, def- too deflated on this podcast. We want to lift people up, I think, is, is our goal here. There's been some really good puns this week, I must say, in the last, past couple weeks. Yeah, I was oh. kind of surprised that the the New York tabloids and the Boston papers didn't run out of uh, ball jokes yet. I mean, the kick, you know, the kick has been going on Look, for a while. You can't go wrong with a ball joke, though. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're just going to keep keep uh, going to that well to the dry. Never will. Well, that's the good thing about those. You can always reuse those ad nauseum because those things have been around for a thousand years, and they'll be around for another thousand years. I'm sure those jokes will. Well, and I guess, yeah, I, like I mean, the... that's as good of a place to start as any is Deflategate <laughs> because that's really the only thing that's getting any oxygen in the NFL world right now. That seems to be our scandal, big scandal of this offseason. I, I feel like go, you go back to 2011, and it seems like every offseason, obviously 2011 was the lockout, and then you had Bounty Gate, and then you had Ray Rice, and now you've got deflated football, so... Got some good variety, keeping keeping good <laughs> variety in the mix of uh, scandals to to fuel the off season here. What Just feels like the NFL's has got they have more scandals these days than anything interesting on the field. It really does. I was telling somebody the other day, it's like I have, and this is part of the. I guess it's just kind of the nature of the job too. But it's like I remember. You're like asking, you're like the, you're like talking to, uh, you're talking about football memories. It's like, yeah, I'll never forget that scandal back in '82. <laughs> yeah, seriously, but it's, it's weird. It's been, uh, but I, you know, what else are you going to talk about this time of year? I guess rookie minicamps can only get you so far. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is true. Well, I, you know, Deflate Gate's probably as good a place as any to start. I don't, you know, I can't think of a. Uh, think of much else to that the nfl world is too riled up about the suspensions as you know the uh the punishments were handed out on monday after rare monday afternoon news dump not a friday afternoon news dump caught us all by surprise (laughs) tom brady got four games the patriots got a million dollars they lost a first round draft pick in 2016 and a fourth round draft pick as well and uh now everybody's lawyered up and we're in for appeals and a big old legal battle. Were you guys surprised, Steven? Were you surprised by the punishment? Um a little bit. I I guess uh it was so unprecedented, there was no way of knowing how they would go about uh assessing the penalty. Um uh, you know, a million dollars and and that I think before that the highest penalty was like five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Then you get the the first round pick and the fourth round pick, on top of suspending one of the best quarterbacks the league has ever seen for four games. I mean, you put that all together, and yeah, I was kind of kind of surprised by it. But at the same time, I, I'm one of those people. I, I just kind of already do the math. You figure uh, Tom Brady is going to appeal, and he'll at least get two games knocked off at the very least. Yeah. Two games, 
you know, maybe they knock off one of those draft picks, then it's not that bad of a punishment, really. But, I mean, four games, look, if those four games go horribly, that could really hurt the Patriots next year, especially in a division oh, yeah. that has gotten so much stronger this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Danny, do you think, I mean, you look at this, you see the punishments here. Do you think it's, I mean, does the punishment fit the crime when you think w- about it? Yeah, I mean, I was, the the Brady, like, I, I agree with Steven, like, they probably, you know, did four games, so then once they negotiate it down, it'll be more like two or, you know, Schefter, I think, reported today that it could be zero. They could they could completely vacate that yeah. whole suspension. So um, the surprise from, like, my first reaction was when they took away the first round pick, I was like, holy crap. Like that is a pretty major, you know, thing, and and you know, with the with the value of a first round pick these days, and so I think that was really surprising to me. I could I could have seen you know suspensions and fines and things like that, but taking away that first round pick is pretty like that was what I considered to be like dropping the hammer on the Patriots, and so it was uh, it was surprising, and and you know, I don't know if they can even like appeal that I, I think i've heard that you maybe can't even appeal that so um it'll be that'll be pretty interesting i think that's more like the punishment for lack of cooperation really than than for anything that brady did you know because i think you know there's a little bit of a separation between you know brady conspiring with these ball boys to get the the mm-hmm. footballs correct and in turn and then like a, an organizational i guess directive to do it so it's definitely. Uh, I, I felt that it was a pretty, pretty strong punishment for that. Well, and, and I, I mean, it's obviously it's a pretty heavy punishment for the Patriots. The, I mean, a first round draft pick. You know, we know the value of that. And even you know, with the Patriots, you you can normally assume that the Patriots are going to be picking in the latter part of the first round anyway. Yeah. So, and a million dollar fine is a big fine. I mean, you know, in in, in anybody's world, even Robert Kraft, who's worth I think for some four point some billion dollars. A million dollars is a million dollars. Now they would save. I guess they kind of technically save that money if Brady's <laughs> yeah. suspended. So yeah, but that's a little funny to think that you know that he's getting unpaid suspension, yeah. so they're actually going to be saving money. <laughs> the thing that was interesting to me about the punishment for the Patriots is that you have the report itself, the Wells report, which I can't believe I've read the damn thing twice now. But that's just sort of, I guess, the the nature wow. of the beast this time of year. But. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, it, a lot of this was, came out of the fact, uh, not for the crime itself, but not our crime, but you know, the, the incident itself, but not, um, the, the lack of cooperation, not necessarily lying, not necessarily deflating the footballs, but the lack of cooperation because the report itself even sort of exonerates. It's like, you know, we never found any evidence that the coach Belichick or that the organization itself, the larger organization knew what was going on or planned what was going on or was involved in this in any way. You right. Know, what they focused on was Brady and the equipment guy and the locker room guy. That's where they found their evidence. But where they hit the Patriots was they went back to 2007 with Spygate, and then they went to the team's you know refusal to make McNally available and, and for a second interview, for a follow-up interview, and the lack of cooperation – on that end is where they hit them so hard, you know, with the punishment, which, I mean, I don't know. That's, I guess that's, 
that's fair, but it just seems like it, it, it's almost like the league discipline is sort of run amok to, at some point. I mean, not that this isn't a rule violation and it merits some punishment. I mean, you broke the rules. You got to play by the rules, but. Right. It, it feels like it's like a shot over everyone's bow in terms of you better get in line if we're like investigating you. You know what I mean? Like this is setting an example, like, you know, don't mess with the the league office or whatever. It does feel, I don't know, is like that, intimidation factor or something like that. Well, is that, you guys look at this, is that how you read this to some extent? I mean, do you see that they, I mean, you're not only suspend, you know, one of the most recognizable figures in all of professional sports, you'll, you'll hit, you know, with a pretty hefty punishment, you'll hit Roger Goodell's best friend's team. And, well, you got to remember, uh, the, the, the Patriots were very indignant yeah. throughout this whole process. Too. Yeah, And I don't huge. think that helped them at all either. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kraft, uh, you know, basically was calling them out before the report ever came out. Like, uh, you know, you guys should be apologizing to us yeah. <laughs> and all this yeah. stuff. Um, and I think that that all played a role. You know, the fact that everybody thinks that Roger Goodell and, and, and Robert Kraft might be too close. Yeah. May have played a role, you know, trying to make that statement like, no, I'll punish my friend too. Yeah. Um, and you got to wonder what the other owners are thinking, because I, I bet you th- there's some that don't like it, but there's some that probably do. Oh yeah. Uh, sure. They feel like, you know, the, 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 the Patriots are sort of getting their comeuppance. Yeah. Uh, again. So, um, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, it, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about a lot is, how important is this whole issue in the first place? And we talked last week, and I was kind of like, well, maybe this will lead to them changing the policy anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's the big deal? But the more I thought about it, the, 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 the thing that kept, I kept coming back to was this. The football is basically the ultimate uh, uh, prize during the game. Yeah. You know, you, you're trying to get it on defense. The offense is trying to score with it. That's the one thing that, that both teams kind of have in common. You're both trying to get that ball at all times. Yeah. And, you know, either keep it from moving down the field or moving down the field. So it makes some sense, kind of like a basketball, in basketball, in the puck and hockey, to have some uniformity there just so everybody's kind of feeling the same thing when they get the football in their hands. And I understand, you know, you don't play with the same footballs. Every team has their set of footballs and what have you. But it makes sense when you really stop and think, look, this is the one thing that kind of can be uniform that both teams kind of have in common is the football itself. Yeah. You know, if you score, it needs to be the same length, you know, because it has to cross the plane and all these good things. And, and even for the turnover situation, whether or not it helped the Patriots that uh, uh, fumble the ball uh, uh, as much as they used to or not, Man, it, maybe it's just a, a placebo effect. But mm-hmm. y- you want to feel like, as, as a defender, that, hey, man, this ball is just as easy to get knocked out when I play the Patriots as it is when I play the coach yeah. or the Texans or anybody else. So, in a way, I can see where, you know, you say, what's the big deal? It's just a little bit of air. But, but in a way, I, I kind of get why the uniformity of the football itself matters just in, in the grand scheme of football itself. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's it's the most basic thing. You can't have. You mean you can't you can't do this. Not even the no high school, no NFL team. You can't do it without a football. I mean, that's the most basic element of the game. I mean, it's not some you know pass interference rule that's subject to vast interpretation from crew to crew. It's, I mean, that's it. That's the essence of football <laughs> right there. So right. I mean, it is. It really is. So. I get it, you know, and, and at one point, you know, this whole thing kind of goes back to, to a, a time where teams condition the football so much yeah, uh, that the balls are just too tacky. You know, they, they were too easily uh, 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 kept in your grasp. And so the NFL wanted to do away with all that stuff. They didn't want you, you know, rubbing the footballs down a lot and putting them in the dryers and all this different stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they made everything more uniform. And so I, I kind of get it. Like I said, I get why there has to be a certain amount of air in there. I I, I do kind of believe that um, the procedures that they followed, trying to see if the coach, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Patriots were cheating during the game, mm-hmm. kind of seemed a little keystone copish. Uh, <laughs> you know, if if they if they had made these you know precise readings on the footballs and stuff, I think people could have take this whole situation a little bit easier too. But it kind of gives you the impression that they weren't really, I don't know, precise when they were trying to see if these balls were underinflated or not. And they didn't do it for all of the coast balls either. So it's like they're definitely out to get the Patriots, so to speak. Yeah. And so I think that kind of gives their fans. Uh, uh, and even maybe people that aren't their fans that just feel like Roger Goodell loves to to overstep his his boundaries, it kind of gives them some ammunition. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you look at Goodell's batting average with suspensions, and and upon appeal, they're not, you know, the league hasn't done done real well once their suspensions have gone on to appeal. I mean, you know, look at the bounty gate. (laughs) I mean, you had to have Tagliabue step in and kind of, you know, basically sort of invalidate the whole thing in in that sort of peace with honor kind of way you know i'm not gonna i can't piss off the nfl but it's um the leagues the leagues will hands out these suspensions but then like in the background work it's not always they're sort of they trip they tend to trip over themselves sometimes in the in the race to get there it seems like you know wonder you wonder if rick goodell is a little bit like you know, he's overcompensating for some of the things that happened earlier this year with him, you know, with the Ray Rice, or I don't know, maybe it was last year, with the Ray Rice suspension of only two yeah. games. You know, now he's like, you know, <laughs> really, <laughs> really going the yeah. other way. Yeah, right. exactly. Like, he doesn't want that blowback to come down on him, I guess. Maybe, you know, that could be part of it. Well, and two, I mean, one thing, you know, the Ray Rice thing does come up, and, and, I, and I don't think it's a straight apples-to-apples thing, obviously. obviously. Yeah, obviously not. But, there, you know, there's something that doesn't get brought up a lot in the Ray Rice thing, but, you know, you remember the, the OTL report that came out, what, maybe three or four weeks after the second videotape came out the first of the season last year with uh, Don Van Nott and Kyle Van Valkenburg from ESPN that uh, they found that the decision was the original suspension was partly influenced by a trip to Augusta with Goodell and Steve Biscotti, the Ravens owner. And that played a big role in Ray Rice only getting two games. And remember they even Mm. at, 
at the meeting with Ray Rice and his wife at the time, fiance at the time of the incident, you had Goodell, a couple suits from the league, and you had the Ravens owner and general manager and team president in the room with Ray Rice and a victim of domestic violence, which, you know, the whole process, it wasn't just that the suspension was not adequate for what the crime was. Right. It was that there was this whole web of impropriety surrounding how it was handled. How did no one, like, pipe up and say, like, uh, this is inappropriate, maybe, you know? If, if there's, I mean, you know, there's probably, I, I, I imagine these guys are pretty smart to have gotten where they are, you know? So yeah. it's just, like, so strange to me that that, that went down that way. So, I don't know. It, yeah, and that kind of, like, sets a a groundwork for people to say that the, the, the league office just doesn't know what they're doing. So, um, yeah. It kinda... To be honest with you, I think there's uh, 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 some truth to that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Th- this is, think about it. The, all the people that Ryan was talking about that was in this meeting, none of them were women. Yeah. And when you get in a situation where you got a bunch of older gentlemen and, and it's just them talking, stuff like domestic violence, a lot of times they don't take it seriously. Yeah. You know, look, uh, and that's kind of the way the conversation seemed like it went. Look, this happened. He's sorry. She accepted it. Let's just move on. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's kind of what the bug that the Ravens owner is putting in uh, uh, Goodell's ear. Goodell isn't going to look around his office and look for a woman and say, what's her perspective? And right. so you got all these men making uh, a decision about domestic violence when probably none of them have any kind of background in dealing with something like that. So yeah. um, that, that kind of, once again, exposes or exposed at the time the holes in uh, the whole conduct policy in the first place. Yeah, Because if you're going to be dealing with this whole range of different issues, shouldn't you have people that have a background in that? You know, whether it's uh, somebody's accused of DUI, you should probably have somebody that, that is familiar with DUIs and stuff like that domestic violence, rape, all these different things, you probably, you definitely have enough money to. Yeah. You probably should have somebody on staff that, that is familiar with these issues and understand them a lot better than some people that just only know football. So uh, I think that definitely was a factor as well. Uh, but once again, I think that after that, they kind of swung all the way the other way. And now it's like, <laughs> we're going to throw the book at everybody. Yeah. And you're just going to have to tell us that we were wrong in the first place. Yeah, and I think that you you know I mean we see this all the time you know the three we we follow all follow the NFL long enough to know you know there's a reactionary element to it and then even you know you see that in how the game's called on the field I mean you see that in you know if 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 penalties are go, have gone too far one way then you know the the league will kind of try to correct for it sometimes it seems and you see that now with the personal you know you saw that with the the you saw that with the drug policies and you're seeing that now i think with the personal conduct policy remember after in the wake of the ray rice stuff the nfl went out and hired those domestic violence experts you know you have the vice anna isaacson who's the vice president for you know the i can't think of the exact title but it kind of oversees that personal conduct domestic violence sexual abuse that sort of thing you know, among NFL players and NFL employees. And, you know, this is sort of that next step to that. This is the reactionary, I mean, without knowing for sure, because I can't read anyone's mind at 345 Park Avenue, but it's, 
you know, here you got the the circumstances surrounding the initial fumbling of the Ray Rice suspension. Well, now you're coming back to it, and it's like, well, you know, Goodell and Kraft, the media has taken Goodell to task because of his relationship with Kraft. You know, people take, you know, everybody loves to hate Tom Brady and the Patriots, and so is this, you know, do you. And so they come down hard on him, and you see that in the punishment. And I think, you know, that's why I, you know, I don't have a lot of faith in the league being very successful when Tom Brady and super lawyer Jeffrey Kessler take this to appeal. And who, and doesn't um, Goodell hear the appeal? Uh, he. Is he does under the the terms of the personal or the personal conduct policy or the, or oh, the, right. the, the, the he, he can choose somebody else yeah and I think that's what'll happen I think you're gonna have to yeah I think just for PR purposes for the, for if for no other reason I think he's gonna have to recuse himself and I think he's actually gonna have to get somebody outside if that's possible yeah. of the league office to kind of handle the appeal otherwise it's gonna be you know. <laughs> There's no way that they can't reduce or maybe even throw the whole thing out if he or one of his quote-unquote cronies is over the appeal process because you know they're going to scream bloody murder even more than they are already. Oh, yeah. And this is Tom Brady. I mean, this isn't Josh Gordon. This is Tom Brady, man. This is, you know, a guy that anything he says gets amplified in 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 the media world. It's, you know, and what's funny about that, too, this is sort of an aside, but all that, you know, rigmarole in reconstituting the league's personal conduct policy and how it, and how it handles discipline and the players union fought and fought and fought to get Goodell out of the arbitrator role to get Goodell out of the business of making the decisions on that because it's a conflict of interest and they lost that battle the league forced that new policy and they did it in the collective bargaining agreement in 2011 and they did it again with the personal conduct policy last year but they forced all those changes in there, but it still left Goodell in charge of determining final punishment for, for players and, empl- and other league employees, too. But where you see it the most, obviously, is the players. But And here we are, almost every single appeal under those new policies has been heard by a, a, a third-party person, Harold Henderson, or ultimately even the court system because, of the, you know, like Adrian Peterson, they didn't – the appeal – didn't work out and then they went they took it to court and that's still ongoing by the way with ap so it's you know the nfl that didn't realize that they you know they didn't want to take goodell out of the process and yet they end up taking goodell out of the process more often than not because you know the 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 players under review or on appeal are demanding that and it's just it, it just gets to the nonsense of the league's whole personal conduct policy. And I think, too, this is where you don't – you get into that, you know, making punishments sort of arbitrary. You don't have – you know, you, you can complain about the drug and PED policy, and I think there's probably a lot of room to complain about that. But the steps are pretty clearly spelled out in that. You know right. what you're going to get suspended for – what the punishment is if you get arrested for marijuana, the smoke of marijuana a second time, or you fail a drug test, or you get popped for, you know, deer antlers in your in your <laughs> Jesus juice that day. But it's it's just uh, – it, it's a mess, and it's something I think that we're not going to be done talking about for months and months and months. But I do – I want to go back to the football implications of it because I don't want to get bore people with 60 minutes of – of legal talk here. 
I'm the Patriots without Tom Brady for four games. That will be the most, if the suspension holds up, that will be the longest period of time the Patriots, as we know them since 2001, have been without Tom Brady except for, what was that, 2007 when he was injured and Matt Castle came in? Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, and, and it's a uh, the AFC East is so interesting this year too. It's like the arms race, you know, is on, and uh, yeah, like you said, if 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 he ends up missing four games, like, he probably won't. He'll probably miss two, but um, you know that could really throw a shift into the you know into how it, it, the power structure works out there. So well, here's um, the here's the list of games they play. Now listen to this because. Uh, this is pretty interesting. Obviously, opening night is the Steelers. I mean, that's the first game of the season, Thursday, September 10th. And it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo versus Ben Roethlisberger. Now, it's worth noting the Steelers will be without Levon, Le'Veon Bell for that game, too. So, Oh, that's right, yeah. I mean, there yeah. is uh, the suspension opener, the all-suspension team for the <laughs> opening. And then they play the Bills at Buffalo in week two. And that's going to be so interesting because the Bills are just stacked on defense now. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's like a huge rivalry game. Uh, and that, you know, I just, the, yeah, to me, the AFC East is one of the most interesting storylines this whole year. And, yeah. and this just adds to it. So, and how do you do? Okay, so there's, there's their first two games, the Steelers at home, the Bills in Buffalo. Then they get the Jaguars in New England, the Jaguars who will also be without who probably would have been their top pass rusher and Dante Fowler towards ACL at rookie minicamp before he'd even signed his contract. Yeah. And then they have a bye in week four <clears throat> and in week five, their fourth game of the season, they're in Dallas at the Cowboys, a team that's, you know, that Vegas is giving fairly decent odds to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. How does, how do the new England Patriots fare in four games like that without Tom Brady? That's a it, tough it schedule right to there. Be seen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, you got an unknown in Jimmy Garoppolo. We've yes. seen him in the preseason, but, you know, it's a totally different thing uh, when you go out there on, on Sundays uh, in the fall. And so, uh, not only that, you look at some of these defenses that he'll be playing, and he'll be essentially a rookie. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's great to, to learn on the sideline, and I'm a big proponent of, uh, mental reps, but mental reps just not are not going to get you prepared for a Steelers defense or a yeah. uh, Buffalo defense with Rex Ryan or even uh, a, a Dallas Cowboys defense that now has some weapons uh, from Marat Marinelli. If, yeah. if, if Randy Gregory works out and they got they got some of these other guys uh, from the last few drafts that are finally kind of coming around, look, uh, they're going to be a, 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 a scary defense too. Now, you know, we assume that it's going to go down to two games, but that's not written in stone. No. So, so uh, I think – and, and you look at – you know, we look at those teams. You look at the Patriots. It's not just that Tom Brady won't be there anymore. Vince Wilford, their, their defensive right. stalwart, no longer there. Uh, they, they had a bunch of linebackers that will be coming off injury. Yeah. Uh, how, how will they stack up? No Revis. Uh, Revis is going to sit there has had a makeover, a complete makeover. So yeah. uh, now you're talking about a team that doesn't have their starting all-world quarterback and their defense is going to be uh, a whole lot different than we're used to seeing the last few years. So uh, I'm just, I mean, 0-4 or 0-2, however long he's suspended, 
is definitely a real possibility. And once you get down that early in the season, yeah, you can come back and make those games up. But you're still going to have Tom Brady coming in trying to get his rhythm down where he would be kind of hitting his stride. Yeah. Normally in the third or fourth or, or fifth game, he's still trying to, you know, kind of get under the, 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 the speed of the game because it changes, you know, obviously from preseason to the regular season. He's going to still be p- kind of playing catch up too. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of the, the – you look back at – I'm looking back at last season. The Patriots started last season 2-2. Two and two. You remember they had that week four loss, their fourth game of the season. They just got decimated by the Chiefs in that yeah. game. And then they kind of whipped in shape and turned it around. But, you know, that was – Yeah, Grunt got healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Grunt got healthy. Hurt and, that was the famous uh, question to uh, Bill Belichick if they're going to make a change at quarterback too. Oh, yeah, right that's at, right. That's after right. that game. <laughs> it's probably my favorite and, and, vine and, and, of all time. In fairness, there, there were some trade rumors at the time. Yeah. I know uh, my Buccaneers were involved with a few of them, <laughs> maybe trading for, for Tom Brady. So, yeah, that was a very hectic time. Yeah. So, that, recall. that just shows you kind of how crazy NFL seasons are, like how, you know, just every week, it like the whole landscape of the NFL can change. It's it's crazy like that, and so that's why a suspension like this is huge. You know, it it's you could be having a crazy, you could be having a, a you know different discussion in the in the beginning of the season than you could you know even after three or four weeks. So it's a uh, it's a big deal. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it shapes the playoff race too, because I mean. You just even that week one game against the Steelers. Now the Steelers are a team that I think it's safe to say, looking at all things on paper right now, but you know just this far out, it's safe to say that the Steelers are probably going to be in the playoff race in the AFC this year. And so you yep. could have if things are close, and you've got week one of the season without Tom Brady, that you know that could end up deciding the standings come January. I mean, as crazy as that sounds, and as, yep, as wild as that is to think about, I mean, you know, it's that might be it. I'm more interested to see what the Patriots have in Jimmy Garofalo and how soon um, the Redskins give them a first-round pick for him. <laughs> <laughs> or some team does if he has Matt Castle. But, you know, Matt Castle had Randy Moss and Wes Welker in his, I mean, in their primes without when Brady was gone that year. And I guess – Garoppolo's obviously going to have Gronk, and that's not, you know, that's a certainly a great asset for any quarterback to have a tight end like that. But it's not, you know, you don't have Welker and Moss out there. Yeah, and teams could theoretically bracket Gronk and, and just, you know, have the other guy, you know, they have to win one-on-one outside. So, yeah. Do you really trust Garoppolo to, you know, feed those guys in, in those situations? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is. It's going to be – I mean, they, like you said, the AFC East is an interesting was an interesting playoff race to begin with, and now you throw this wild card into the mix. And uh, it's it, it really could get interesting, especially when you got a week two game against the Bills right there. And there again, if it's a razor-thin margin, that's a game that might come back to haunt them in the standings. Yep, exactly. All right, I, let's take this – since we're on the AFC East already, let's take this – I want to go – Division by division, and I want to talk about some of the teams that, in our opinions, have really improved the most in that division. I think the AFC East is a good place to start because, A, it's at the front of the alphabet if you go division by division. So that's <laughs> always always an editor's friend to go alphabetically. But so we've already talked about it, so we're on there. And uh, 
Stephen, you said this at the beginning of the show. The AFC East is a dramatically improved division. All three of those teams that compete with New that try and try and try to get to knock New England off the top of the standings every year, they look like they might have a decent chance to do it. Now, obviously, nobody has a quarterback situation like the Patriots do, even with only 12 games of Tom Brady. But there are some loaded teams in there now. Who, do you feel like any of those teams can knock off? This is the year that one of those teams can knock off the Patriots? I believe uh, that one of the teams could. They're going to have to get around the, the quarterback issue. Yeah. But, you know, uh, as I think about it, the Jets, and I know their quarterback situation with Geno Smith it, it isn't great. Um, they did uh, pick up uh, Bryce Petty, but by all accounts, he's a project. Um, but, man, their defense, I, I just keep looking at how, how are you going to throw the football on their defense? Yeah. Uh, and we know that that's what the Patriots primarily like to do. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have a hard enough time trying to run the football with uh, uh, Leonard Williams added to the madness that they have on their defensive line. But then when you drop back the pass, <laughs> you're going to have Revis and Cromartie out there again uh, with yeah. some better safety than they had probably before. And that same defensive line that you can't run the football against is going to be breathing down your quarterback's neck every single play. Yeah. I just... Uh, and it's the crazy thing, you know, you, you get these situations and sometimes it fizzles out, you know, sometimes it, it kind of lets you down, but I'm really having a hard time seeing how teams are going to be successful throwing the football against them. I, you know, barring injury, I just, I think the Jets probably have the best chance to unseat uh, the Patriots finally. Uh, Maybe would have had a good chance even with Tom Brady not suspended, but definitely with the suspension. Mm-hmm. I just think they have a chance. If the quarterback situation is such where at least the guy's a game manager and mm-hmm. doesn't turn the football over a lot, I like their chances to unseat uh, the Patriots as an AFC East champion. <clears throat> yeah, it comes down to can the Jets, I mean, can they score 17, 16, 17, 18 points a game? Like, I think they can. And that's probably what their defense is going to be, you know, giving up, like 15, 16, 17 points. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with that, you know, the, the Seahawks kind of set the the standard last year with their pass defense in the last couple of years. And, you know, I think the Jets could really challenge them in that area just with, you know, Revis taking one side of the field. They can really, you know, depend on that as usual. And then, you know, the rest, the rest of their defense just becomes that much more dangerous because essentially Revis is like two players because he can guard the whole half of the field. So yeah. um, just makes it really, really hard. There's like not very many spots you can go to in that defense in terms of where you want to passing the ball. So, yeah, I, I echo that with what, what Steven said. I think the, the Dolphins are an interesting team as well, you know, because they got, they got better on both sides of the ball. I think, you know, with their offense, they went out and got some weapons for um, – for Tannehill, and that's huge because he looked like a guy who, you know, he could either kind of plateau or he could he could really explode. And I think going out and getting Kenny Stills, uh, they signed Greg Jennings, who I think, you know, is still a good player in my opinion. They have Jarvis Landry already, and then yeah. obviously they went and got Jordan Cameron in, in free agency, so he's got some weapons. And then their first-round pick, Devontae Parker's, you know, a potential number one guy. So, um on offense, I think they got better, and you know that that can only take the pressure off of uh, off of Tannehill a little bit. And so, in in terms of the you know the most important position in the 
in the league. You know, I think that in, apart from the, you know, obviously with Brady, I think the the Dolphins are set up the best to challenge for that just because of their quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously adding Sue to the defensive line is huge as well. Uh, they have more question marks on defense, I think, than the other two couple teams. But, yeah. um, you know, they're better set up at quarterback, which is huge for them. Yeah, and they're just not as embarrassed. I mean, they have a good defense. I mean, you've got Cameron Wake and, and Dami Kansu on that defense, but they're just not as embarrassingly loaded as the Jets and the Bills are too. I, I still think, you know, yeah. I look at the Bills, that defense is pretty intimidating, and I think that defense is, and we've seen this with Rex Ryan before when he was with the Jets, you know, with a good defense, he can win more games than people will give him credit for in at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and I think actually the Bills made some improvements on offense too. You know, they got Percy Harvin. He's yeah. kind of an X factor. Um, you know, you never really know what you're going to get with him, but he's, he's a McCoy. potential game changer. Obviously, yeah, they got Shady. Uh, you know, they've got uh, they went and added Charles Clay, who is kind of I think they obviously look at him like he's a potential you know wild like a uh, Joker type of guy in terms of they gave him a lot of money, so they obviously think he's worthwhile in in terms of what he can do for their offense. So. Um, again, like, yeah, it's just an arms race in the East. And, and I think all those teams really got a lot better. Yeah. And that's, I think we might have a new contender for the best division in football. Yeah, it's possible. You know, obviously the quarterback position is so important. Yeah. So that's such a big factor that I kind of, you know, hesitate to say that just because there's essentially three unknowns at quarterback and that division, probably more like two unknowns and then one you know, mid-range guy, and then obviously Brady, but um, just the defenses in that division are insane. And and you could definitely say they're giving the NFC West a run for their money in terms of the defenses in that division. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's move on. Uh, let's go down. Let's alphabetically. We'll stay. We'll go to the AFC North. I think this is a tougher division to me to look at it from where we are on paper and pick a winner. And all yeah. three of these teams had some – all four of these teams – had some pretty big changes in the off season, but I think, you know, the three that are the most viable contenders, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Baltimore, all had some pretty significant shifts in, you know, their overall makeup. You look at the Steelers, they lost Dick LeBeau, the longtime defensive coordinator. That's always big. You know, Baltimore switched offensive coordinators and it to a pretty you know, you go from you go to Mark Tressman from the from Gary Kubiak. That's you know those are two pretty different offensive systems. And then of course, yeah. you know the the Bengals haven't changed dramatically in the sense of coaching changes, but you do have, you know, you've got a quarterback with some pretty big question marks, and you know a team that is consistently good for ten or eleven wins, and then you know sort of disappears come January. But who? Danny, look at those teams in that division, and and let's put Cleveland in the mix here too, because I don't want to yeah. just do this as pick the winner of the division. But which of those four teams, who's the most improved this season? Yeah, that's that's really tough to say, honestly. I think if you're talking about who's the most improved, I probably would lean towards the Ravens, um, and it's not like you know that's not by a lot. I just think you know with the adding. Rashad Perryman in the first, Max Williams in the second. Um, you know, then they got another guy, Darren Waller, in the sixth, who's an interesting sort of tight end receiver hybrid guy. Um, I think on offense they got a little bit better, and, and obviously they lost Torrey Smith, but I think with with the additions of those three guys, I think they can definitely make up for that. <clears throat> um, 
you know, I the Steelers, it, it's tough because, you know, the Steelers also got better, I think, with the addition of uh, Bud Dupree. Mm-hmm. But they also lost a couple guys. So, it, you know, how much net gain is a rookie going to be when you lost a guy? Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He retired. Uh, Warlids, I think his name. Yeah. You know? And uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing. So, um, you know, it, to me, the, the that's the hardest division to really pick out a team that, you know, improved the most. I think mm-hmm. I, I really actually liked the Browns draft a lot. Yeah. Um, and they got better on defense, and I think they added some weapons on offense. And but at the same time, you know, they just the quarterback position just really, I think, puts them behind everybody else. Um, so you know, Manziel or whoever is going to be starting there this year, that's the huge you know X factor there. Yeah. Steven? Josh McCown, baby. <laughs> that's, his... <laughs> that's his name. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I kind of echo all of Danny's sentiments. Yeah, I really like uh, the Ravens because I think we kind of get focused on the offense a lot, and I, I fall into this trap too. Uh, <laughs> is Joe Flacco elite? <laughs> as, uh, PRT commenter would say, but man, their defense last year I saw them up close and personal. What their defense can do when they're really flying around. I know they lost Haloti Nada, but man, uh, they they got some really good. Uh, Young guys, yeah. Uh, you know they got the uh, draft pick out of Florida State last year. They got some big, strong guys up front, man. And, and with Elvis Dumerville and uh, Terrell Suggs coming off the end, that defense is still going to give people nightmares, especially with C.J. Mosley another yeah. year, uh, year under his belt. Uh, I just think that uh, their defense is, is going to help them tremendously this year too, as well as their offense. Steve Smith is still there, and he's still talking smack. <laughs> so I, I just think, uh, you know, you know, you do kind of rise and fall on your quarterback, and Flacco has been known to be a little inconsistent. <laughs> but I, I think, um, for one, they found a final running back. It took him all year to finally start giving Forsett the ball, basically, uh, as much as he deserved to get it. And, and, and so I think uh, when you look on both sides of the ball, I, th- I think they're going to end up being the class of that division. Yeah. Um, and, and and it could very well be the Bengals, though. It, uh, we can't say enough about their quarterback situation because uh, I say in their division, they're going to lean on their quarterback to win or lose more games than anybody else simply because he will throw them out of so many games just out of the blue. Uh, it, it, when he plays, it, there's really no gray area with him. He usually plays well or he gets them beat. And so, uh, until they get that figured out, um, you can't count them out and you can't count them in. Because <laughs> if he has a tremendous year this year, they could easily win the division and go into playoffs and do some great things. But that's a big if considering the history with him yeah. uh, uh, so far. So, um, the Steelers are the Steelers, of course. <laughs> I think they're going to have a little bit harder time transitioning this year than people may believe. It, it just... It always going to affect you some kind of way, especially yeah. when you add somebody there as long as Dick LeBeau. It is going to take a while for them to to kind of transition to somebody else. Um, and, and offensively, all those guys are getting a little bit older. You know, Ben Roethlisberger is getting older. Uh, he's got some young wide receivers, but uh, you know, offensive line is getting a little bit older. Yeah, I, I just think the window is closing fast, and they're going to be a team that you know, a lot of new faces in the secondary. 
they're, they're going to have to stay healthy this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had their own super rookie last year in Ryan Shazier, that linebacker, probably might have been well ahead of C.J. Mosley at the time he got hurt, but he gets hurt, and all of a sudden, the deep, you know, it's not the same anymore. You know, no. with him not being out there, that defense wasn't nearly as uh, intimidating uh, as they should have been. So, if they can stay healthy, maybe they can do some things too, but I'm not as high on them. I, I really think the Ravens are the class of the division, and the Bengals could possibly overtake them if their quarterback play is good this year. Yeah. It, it's all that one, you know, and they sent three teams to the playoffs last year too. I mean, that's a, that's the, it's definitely the tightest division in, in the NFL, at least the way it looks right now on paper, but uh, we'll see what happens. Right, let's go on to the NFC South. Uh, the Colts, you know, Houston gave them a little bit of a run last year, but the Colts came out on top and man, it looks like uh, I know the Philip Dorsett pick got poo-pooed by a lot of people coming out of the draft, but that seems like one of those things that, you know, uh, that's one loaded group they've got there on offense for Andrew Luck <laughs> Seriously. right now. And it's it's uh, it's hard. But, I, you know, to me, I look at that division and I see I, if Fowler were still healthy, I think, Jack, this would be the year Jacksonville gets to the the Jeff Fisher promised land of eight and eight. <laughs> Stephen, what who you look at the NFC South or AFC South rather? Which team do you think had the best has had the best off season so far? Um, I would say that you know until that unfortunate injury with uh, with Fowler, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars. I thought they picked up some nice pieces uh, on their defense, especially uh, had a very nice draft. We talked about that last week, yeah. And I think they pretty much have, have had finally gotten all the pieces necessary to be successful. Now, that wasn't going to guarantee them success, but at least, you know, the, the neither the offense coordinator or the defense coordinator would kind of have to put their hands hand over their face after they called certain plays. <laughs> and they yeah. had to do that, you know, last year and in recent years because you just didn't know how it was going to turn out sometimes. So I think the Jacksonville, even, you know, long term, I still think they probably had the, long, the better offseason. Losing Fowler hurts a lot. Though, obviously, uh, they thought they finally had that, um, you know, one-on-one pass rusher that can win all by himself and make everybody better. Um, but they still have a lot of talent up front. You know, since Derek Marks hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, so they still have a chance to be pretty good or at least be very much improved this year, this season, I, I would say. Uh, I think the Texans had a, a decent offseason. Uh, picking up Vince Wilfork, who maybe only has a year or two left, I think he's going to help from a leadership standpoint just because, you know, he's going to come with, uh, I would say, a certain gravitas about him where <laughs> mm-hmm. they have a lot of young defensive players especially who maybe are still kind of trying to find their way. We know they got clowned last year. And guys that he can kind of take under his wing and mold them and show them what winning is all about. Even with J.J. Uh, Watt, man, you know, th- th- he probably can learn some stuff from Vince Wilfork yeah. about leadership, especially. So I just think uh, that that signing is going to show up in more ways than the stat sheet. Uh, but I still will say that Jacksonville had the, the best offseason. I will say, and y'all know I love uh, <laughs> uh, Philip, uh, what's his name? 
the, the pick for Dorset. uh coach Dorset. Philip Dorsett. Y'all know I love that pick anyway. Yeah. I, I don't really care what people think because uh because of the way the coach offense is set up, man, they are set up to give you these crazy route uh combinations and then there's somebody streaking down the middle of the field or down the sideline and luck is hitting you over the top. And last year, you know, uh, there was a point where T.Y. Hilton was tearing it up. But then after that, they kind of started doubling him a little bit, and he had a much harder go of it. It's going to be lot, a lot harder to double-team anybody. We know they got uh, uh, Andre Johnson mm-hmm. from the Texans. So we, they got the nice little intermediate wide receiver. But you got T.Y. Hilton on one side and Philip Dorsett on the other. Man, you better have some fast safety. That's all I'm going to tell you. So uh, you're building around a franchise quarterback. I just don't think you could argue with that anytime. And I think Philip Dorsett, his best days are in front of him. So um, he may end up being better than T.Y. Hilton, really and truly. Yeah. He, 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 he can really go up and get the football. That's one of the things I really love about him is he plays bigger than his size. You know, yeah. he's got like a 37-inch vertical, and he will go up and get those 50-50 balls for you. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I still would say, even with the foul in, injury, man, I, I just like even some of the smaller moves, mm-hmm. uh, just role-player moves that uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars made this year, I think it's going to show up in the, in the win column as well. Yeah. Danny, AFC South thoughts? Yeah, I like the – I mean, I think – I like the Colts offseason on paper. I think, you know, grabbing Andre Johnson – and then drafting Philip Dorsett to echo what Steven said, it's like, how do you defend that? You know, mm-hmm. you better you better come ready to defend the pass there. <laughs> and then um, the the thing about that is then, you know, you still have Pep Hamilton, who's, you know, he's the Stanford, former Stanford guy. You know, he still wants to run power. You know, last year I don't think they, they ran it quite as well as they wanted or as much as they wanted. And I think we'll see this year, you know, a little bit more balance with Frank Gore. And, you know, Frank Gore is pretty much the perfect guy to be running in that system. So, um, you know, I, I like what they did on offense a lot. Um, and then in terms of, you know, I don't think that the, the Titans are necessarily going to be threatening for the division or anything, but I think they did get better. You know, mm-hmm. they added a quarterback. They added a, you know, potential number one guy in Doral Green Beckham if he, if he can pan out how a lot of people want, like, think he can. Um, you know, so that they're an interesting team, but I would say <clears throat> the Colts just got better. Uh, you know, the Texans, I, I like some of the moves they made. I think their defense got better. You know, I think there are two first round picks, or sorry, there are two first picks, Kevin Johnson and uh, the the linebacker McKinney. Um, mm-hmm. I think they can both probably play early, and uh, so their uh, their uh, their defense is is bound to get better. But again, they have you know questions at the quarterback position, so that's. You know, there's still, I think that's pushing them towards 500 in terms of just where they're going to end up. But um, I, I would have to say the Colts got better. and They, they probably had my favorite offseason um, in that division. So um, in terms of that, you know, the rich get richer there. So, Yeah, I, you know, I look at their defense a little bit and I wonder, I mean, you know, they got outscored 45-7 in the infamous deflate gate game. And obviously... That probably wasn't just due to the underinflated footballs that New England was apparently using <laughs> in that one. So true, true. They don't seem content to to get outscored <laughs> by that kind of margin again. But I do look at the defense, and you know they don't. Uh, they made some kind of low key moves. I like that they I, I like that they brought in Trent Cole. I mean, I know he's 
going to be yeah. 33 and he's not, you know, he's probably not a 10 sack guy or anything, but th- I thought that was a good addition, a good kind of low key addition. And then Kendall Langford, I am fairly familiar with Kendall Langford because he played in St. Louis since 2012 and he's a pretty underrated defensive lineman an inside defensive lineman. And yeah, he's not a guy that's going to get you a lot of sacks or anything, but he's a guy that's really effective there and won't, you know, you're not going to get, you're less likely to get gashed by a running back, you know, with him in the middle of your defensive line. So I, I thought that was, those were some good additions on the other side of the ball. And it's unfortunate because the Colts have had some poor draft picks in recent years, like, um, Oh, Bajorn Warner that really haven't panned out <laughs> yeah. for them yet in the way yeah. that they kind of had hoped they would. So, and I think they're definitely on the, let's hope to score more points than the opponent. Track. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, but they can. I mean, Andrew Luck can sling it. Yeah. And they've got some really, really good offensive weapons. So, you know, it'll be interesting that for them to, to see how they can stack up against some of the, the elite teams in the AFC again this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, let's go to that. And I'm going to jump in on the AFC West because I think, I, I think the most improved team is Oakland. Um, I, I don't think they're improved to the point where you're going to see them in the mix with Denver and San Diego or possibly Kansas City. But that's a good young core of players they've got there now. Are you are you gonna actually defend Reggie McKenzie now? <laughs> I can't. I, I don't acknowledge ever saying anything negative about Reggie McKenzie. <laughs> well, you know, I would. I kind of shit on his free agent moves over the years because they were kind of bad free agent moves. But then, yeah, that yeah. report came out this year that the team has the kind of financial problems where they can't put all that money into a into an escrow account for guaranteed contracts. Wow. No, I would agree with you. I think they've kind of slowly it's funny that the Raiders have been like trolling the trolling the the waiver wire for the last couple of years mm-hmm. and they've picked up some weapons and, and, and you know obviously they're not like game changers but they've picked up some guys that could be real role players for them that way. And then, you know, obviously they went out and they signed Crabtree. They got Amari Cooper. Their, off- or their offensive weapons are, are going to be better this year. They got Clive Walford in the draft. Um, so, you know, they're, they're putting weapons around their quarterback. Um, so, and I don't know, they took Penny Stock and Trent Richardson. Maybe he figures it out. You know, who knows? Um, and then on defense, they signed Dan Williams. I like that, you know, right in the middle for them. You know, they've obviously got Khalil Mack, who's just probably going to get better. Uh, DJ Hayden's probably just going to get better. They get, the Travis Carey, you know, another corner. And I they think they made a good last pick year. with Mario Edwards in the second round, too. Yeah, and, you know, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that they're getting better, and they're adding, you know, they're adding weapons to their to their group and, and, and improving depth in, in a lot of areas. And so, you know, they might not, you know, they might not get to 500 this year or whatever, but they definitely are, like, I think they're definitely improving, you know, across the board. That's right. What winning the off season or winning <laughs> off the field, Stephen? AFC West thoughts? Um, I, I, I do think that the Raiders is kind of a new day uh, in Oakland. Uh, they're making some 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 very nice moves that that aren't the way we we we're used to them making the, the big <laughs> blockbuster moves or what have you. Everybody thought they were going to be in there trying to get sued. Uh, and pretty much every other big name free agent this offseason, but they kind of hit, you know, stood pat. I think they were interested, but they didn't overdo it and, yeah. and overpay uh, for once. And I think that's going to pay off uh, on the field for them because some of these acquisitions, are, I, I think, 
are really nice. Uh, some of them last year, I think, were a little bit risky, but kind of risk-reward signings uh, mm-hmm. uh, this year, including their draft. I think they've got a, a, a lot more safe-type players. E- even the Trent Richardson one it is for a song. You know, if it doesn't yeah. work out, who cares? Right. But if it does, if the light bulb does come on, I mean, you, you, it's like finding $20 in, in your pocket before, before you do a laundry. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I can't argue with anything they really have done this offseason. I think um, if Derek Carr continues to progress the way uh, he did last year, uh, 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 along with uh, uh, the first-round pick last year, uh, the linebacker, uh, yeah, Khalil Mack, I, I just think the sky's the limit for that team. You know, they got Jack Del Rio now, so <laughs> they might have to play better than their coach. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 you know, you never know. Maybe, maybe Jack's learned some things with his time uh, uh, out of being a head coach. I thought Jack was a, a good young head coach and then kind of maybe lost his way a little bit the last few years in Jacksonville. But, you know, maybe having been a decent coordinator uh, with, with the Broncos, yeah. he, he's kind of found himself again. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. But I do like the, the talent that they required this offseason. Keep chopping wood. That was the the, the famous axe incident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all downhill from there. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's switch over to the NFC. And I think this is a tough division to call um, because I, I know Dallas is still really good and they certainly haven't hurt themselves on paper in the offseason. But uh, it, it's, uh, I, I don't know. Steven, I'm going I'm to start with you. Your NFC East most improved team. Um, Most improved team? Let's see. I, I'm going to have to go with Dallas. Uh, uh, I, I, I hate to say that because I hate what they did with the running back position. I, I really don't think you can just plug and play somebody at running back. And, and when you have somebody that performs uh, the way their running back did, I, I think you, you have to try to retain that guy. But uh, listen, like I said, Randy Gregory found yeah. money. Uh, Lyle Collins found money. Uh, yeah. If just those two guys work out this year, man, can you imagine? So uh, I, I, I really thought they did some good things in the draft. You know, they got another offensive lineman from Florida in the draft as well. That's uh, right. Chaz, Chaz Green. Chaz Green, yeah. So uh, now you're building, you're talking about not only having one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, now you have quality depth also. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a good offensive lineman that doesn't make that team probably. So uh, I think <laughs> offensively, they're still as dangerous as ever. Maybe not quite as strong with, with, without, um, you know, the running back being there. But uh, we'll see if, if we can get one of these castoffs, uh, like, like uh, the running back for the Raiders. Uh, Murray. we we'll see if one, uh, DeMarco Murray. We'll see if he can kind of find the fountain of youth to restart his career. But defensively, I think Rod Marinelli finally kind of has the talent that he wanted there, mm-hmm. the, 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 the kind of talent he wants up front, especially. Uh, and if, like I said, if Randy Green works out, man, now that defense, instead of being a, 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 a hindrance or something that the offense kind of had to carry up until last year, and even last year, you know, they improved so much, but still last year, I, I don't think anybody was ever secure with any kind of uh, small Dallas lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, now I think that that defense can actually start to be an asset yeah. for them. So uh, 
I, I, I really like some of the things they've done this offseason. Now, now, the Redskins, I, I, I like some of their moves, especially their draft. I, I, you know, if it was me, I would have taken Leonard Williams instead of Shirt. Yeah. But the one thing I like about their offseason, and I give them credit for this, is, like I said last week, they're going to see what they have with RG3. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to give him the best opportunity to uh, succeed this year. And if he can, then, look, they might mess around and win a division. And, and they're, they're, they're giving them a better offensive line, uh, a few better weapons as well. I, I think they, they definitely have improved on defense as well. Just getting rid of their defense coordinators should help in that <laughs> yeah. regard. But I think if there's a sneaky team that might end up surprising some people, I think it might be Washington this year. Yeah, that was, and they, you know, they've, some of their free agent moves, like Terrence Knighton, Stephen Piea, Chris Culver, I mean, you know, not exactly, they're not the top of the line, the best in the business at their position, but they're really good. It's a good grouping of additions when you put it all together, and that's, you know, a much better defensive line than they had. And like you say, you get rid of Jim Hazlitt, hell, talk about found money, man. (laughs) Exactly. Danny, your thoughts on the uh, NFC East? I mean, I, I can't, you know, I can't disagree with anything you guys have been saying. I think I actually liked the Eagles off season. You know, it's they added Tim Tebow, which is huge. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 you know, they, they've made some, they've made some of those blockbuster moves, and obviously they got rid of uh, Shady McCoy and, and let Macklin go in free agency, and so you could wonder if their offense took a step back, and, and you know, maybe it did. Um, but I think they got better on defense in quite a bit better. In fact, I think, you know, adding Kiko Alonso to the middle to pair him with Michael Hendricks, that'll be pretty interesting to see. They've got a lot more speed in the, in the middle now. Um, I really liked Eric Rowe and they drafted him in the mm-hmm. second round and now they can pair him theoretically with Byron Maxwell, um, who, you know, again, I think is a really good player. Um, so their pass defense just got better. And, you know, they've got a couple guys, like, they signed Walter Thurmond. He's, he's another one of those penny stock guys. He's really talented when he's on the field. He just has to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they've got a couple other – their front is obviously really good. I'm glad they didn't trade Fletcher Cox um, just because he's one of the more fun he's, – he's a really fun player to watch. He's really good. So um, I think, you know, on defense, I think they got a lot better. You know, hopefully if Marcus Smith can kind of show up and, and do a little bit more this year – They've, still, they've got a couple of their draft picks from the last couple of years that, you know, if they come into their own this year, they can make a big difference. So um, I, I like what the Eagles did, too. But, and don't forget, they have that whole, I mean, did you guys see that this week? This whole, um, you know, because they signed, obviously, Sam Bradford, DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews. Obviously, some pretty marquee additions, but guys with some questionable injury histories. And right. they have – it's not rehabilitation. It's a reconditioning is what they call it under Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. So they've got the reconditioning science down, which sounds like something out of a George Orwell. But Yeah, so it sounds like something out of the Iron Curtain somewhere. Yeah, well, you know, everybody laughed when he took away Taco Tuesday and look at, look at what happened there. So. <laughs> All right, let's uh, – the NFC North – the NFC North, the uh, big changes in the NFC North with Chicago in the offseason, obviously, uh, big, the changing their head coach and general manager. The rest of the division stayed stable at those at those positions, but, uh, you know, have some room to grow to catch Green Bay and, and Aaron Rodgers. 
Danny, I'm going to start with you this time. Yeah, I think that they would be the team that stand out the most to me. And again, like like we say every single year, like Jay Cutler is kind of the wild card. You know, when he's on, he's good. And when he's confident, he's really good. But he's also, you know, one of those guys that will spray it around and throw a whole bunch of picks and things like that. So you just really never know. Hopefully the, you know, a new regime can get the most out of him and, and there'll be another team that can sort of, you know, go for the – they can try and knock Green Bay off their pedestal. But um, in terms of some of the moves they made, you know, I think they, they got better on defense. Um you know, I like their I like their draft in terms of they got Eddie Goldman in the second and then Adrian Amos in the fifth. Um, add a little bit of uh, talent to the secondary. They they sign Antrell Roll, um, which could be a big deal for them. Um, and you know Pernell McPhee. You know it's been a while since free agency happened, but again I, that was a that was a dra- uh, pick yeah, or a, sorry a, a free agent that I really liked for them too. So um, just looking over their you know, depth chart on defense. I think they're going to be a lot better on defense this year. And so, you know, that'll make a big difference for them. Obviously drafting Kevin white in the first could be a game changer and you pair him with Alshon Jeffrey and they could uh, kind of recreate what, what Brandon Marshall and Jeffrey did together there for Cutler. So, yeah, um, you know, they're, they're the wild card team and, and a lot of it comes down to Cutler, but I think they got better on defense and they will be a little bit more of a, a contender. I think this year. Definitely, and they, had, they really didn't have anywhere to go but up when it came to the defense because that was a that was a rough group to watch. Stephen, NFC North. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's several teams that that are intriguing, but <laughs> there's one move that's going to the probably go a long way in determining that division. It is what happens with Adrian Peterson. Yeah, um, yeah. If Adrian Peterson comes back to the Vikings. I would pretty much put them as the favorite in that division. Uh, their defense is already strong. Uh, they, they've shown a strong pass rush last year. Uh, they added another linebacker from UCLA this year in the draft in the first round, I think. Uh, and, uh, no, uh, I think it was the second round. They got Trey Waynes, mm-hmm. I believe, in the first round. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, and offensively, uh, you, you know, we, I guess all three of us are fans of, of Teddy Bridgewater. Absolutely. And so they, they've got a lot of talent on offense and defense, but he's that game changer. You know, if the same way if he's traded or released and he's not in the division, um, the Vikings could be third or fourth yeah. in that division. You just never know. I, I, I think uh, the Lions, while they lost in Donald Kong's suit, uh, them picking up Pelote Nada on, on an already strong defense. You still got Ezekiel Ansah and, and those guys rushing up front. Uh, you still got Megatron on offense. They pick up Amir Abdullah, uh, uh, another uh, uh, multi-purpose running back that they can use in the passing game. And I, I just, you know, last year they had a lot of injuries. They they, uh, they also upgraded uh, a guard on the offensive line in the draft. Mm-hmm. So, I like a lot of their moves as well, but I just feel like it comes down to Peterson. If Peterson comes back and plays for the Vikings, they're my favorite, and that will be the best, the biggest move of the offseason. Yeah. Quite honestly, even if it doesn't show up on the transaction report, but if he's not there, then I think uh, the Lions have a chance to actually find – if they can stay healthy, man, I, I think they have a chance to do some big things this year. 
Yeah, and, and the, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Matt Khalil in Minnesota. I mean, obviously that's the the left tackle there that they drafted highly in the uh, in 2012, and he had a really good rookie season, but he hasn't been. He's struggled in pass protection, to say the least, since then. And and if he can kind of rebound and get back to, you know, at least an average level of play, I mean, it's that much better for Teddy Bridgewater, too. I mean, that's another one of those sort of, you know, like the Peterson thing. It's addition by, you know, not subtraction, I guess. Right. <laughs> it's that, you know, the, the bonus you get from having a player with that kind of pedigree find his stride again, you know. Yeah, exactly, because, you know, they were relying on him last year, and he just didn't show up, so that could be big. And, and along those lines, you know, we don't talk – we talk about which teams got better, but I think, you know, you can't really forget the Packers kind of just uh, slinking around in the shadows. You know, they, they re-signed Cobb. They re-signed Balaga. Um, you know, they kept some of these major guys for their, for their you know, team, and, you know, they didn't necessarily make any big, flashy moves, but, um, you know, they're still – they're kind of just doing the Green Bay thing where they, they keep their own guys and, and they keep developing through the draft, and I think they're you know still going to be really good. And so you yeah. can't really say they got better necessarily, but they stayed good, I guess, yeah. by, by keeping some of those, those core guys. Yeah. Ooh, now, now here's a division that was the uh, synonymous with excitement last year, <laughs> the NFC South. Hmm. I mean, Let's it's, go. it's hard not to look at. I mean, it's hard not to look at Tampa Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay, obviously, and Stephen, you're. I mean, you know the Bucks as well as anybody. But you know, the quarterback. I mean, you know, you, you got the best quarterback in the draft, and you know whether or not, you know, you set the maturity issues aside because that's not. I mean, I don't know enough to comment on all that stuff with with Winston, and and maybe he's not a guy in year one who's going obviously going to reach his peak, but they address the biggest need and the hardest need for a team to fill. Well, you know, obviously Jameis Winston has embarrassed uh, the Florida state fans and, and, and boosters uh, in a lot of ways to quote the great, uh, <laughs> Good old Bobby, Bowden. Bobby Bowden. Uh, but, but listen, uh, I think that I couldn't have been happier with their draft. And the reason why is because they double dip for the offensive line early. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people were kind of panning some, you know, the picks uh, of Donovan Smith and, and Ollie Marpet. And I get that, you know, uh, Donovan Smith was a little bit lower rated by most people as a left tackle, but he was one of the only true left tackles in the draft. Yeah. In my opinion, um, Marpet is from the small school, but I think they got a real good close up look at him at the senior bowl to see him against top competition which gave them a little bit better um, sense of uh, uh, of comfort with him. Yeah. And plus, most of the other top guards were off off the board by then as well. So, but 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 the, the, I think a lot of people just even to this day don't understand how bad that offensive line was last year. And you just simply could not bring Jameis Winston or any other rookie quarterback into a situation like that. Mm-hmm. And so just those first three picks of the draft for them would have been a very good offseason. But then they got some really good kind of low-key uh, 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 signings like like the Raiders. You get Henry Melton in here. Now you finally have a true three-technique backup for uh, for McCoy. And, 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 and that's the thing. Gerald McCoy, every year since he's been here, if Gerald McCoy gets hurt, the defense just falls apart. 
Yeah. And, and that was true last year. Now we finally have that guy that should something happen to him, can come in there and, and, and Henry Melton isn't what he used to be, but he's a very viable three technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you bring in some of these guys uh, uh, for competition and safety. Uh, I'm not saying Chris Conti is going to set the world on fire, but at least he's going to know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. And so, you know, once again, I think that they made some nice, smaller moves to go along with a good draft. Um, and then other teams, like I, I thought the Carolina Panthers kind of squandered some opportunities to to help themselves uh, uh, along the offensive line and, and the skill positions in the draft and otherwise. Uh, so I think, you know, kind of the convergence of those two things, I would put Tampa Bay at the top of the list. And, and we know that, you know, the Saints had a fire sale for a while going on down there. Yeah. And so they got rid of so many guys. For them to get more good guys in would only bring them back to, you know, maybe where they were to begin with. So I don't know that they got any better this offseason, even though they might have had some good signings and some good uh, uh, some good draft picks. They got rid of so much. Just the Jimmy Graham trade in and of itself, man, is going to be a huge hole they have to fill in their offense yeah. because everything in their offense kind of, came off of having their tight end that could beat you up the field. So it, it'll be interesting to see what a team like, say, the, the Saints, how they rebound this year, because they had a terrible year last year too. But they're going to have a bunch of new faces down there, uh, and, and not all of them are going to be upgraded. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, Atlanta, I, 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 I love their draft. You know, we talked about that last year, last uh, week. Um, but I'm not sure they did anything else other than have a good good draft this all season, per se. So you know they're still going to have some question marks on the offensive line. They're they're changed. They have a new staff. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how, how how things change for them as well. But they'll probably be number two on my list. I, I think the Bucks, just with all their moves put together, even the small ones, I think kind of put them at the top of the heap for all, all season moves. Uh, on, in my book, and it, that's probably not a good thing because I thought they won the all season last year too. <laughs> and we see how they turned out. <laughs> well, you know, too another uh, another one of those low key moves the Bucks made. It happened yesterday. They they claimed DJ Swearinger off off waivers, and I think that's a good addition to that secondary. I guess as long as they don't ask him to play special teams, apparently. Right. <laughs> I've never heard of that. You know what? That's one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. Since I've been playing football and retired and everything else, I've never, ever heard of a safety saying that they don't play special teams. <laughs> I played, like, our number one wide receiver, like, uh, Bert Emanuel, when he got here from Atlanta, was making a lot of money. And then Keyshawn Johnson. Those are the only two guys I can remember, other than the quarterbacks, that didn't sit in every special teams meeting. Yeah. Everybody else, Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, all of us in special team meetings, just in case. And yeah. you walk out and say, I don't play special teams, coach. <laughs> that, that's, that's very interesting. So we'll see how that, we'll see how, how that goes. But once again, it, it's one of those uh, kind of low-risk yeah. uh, uh, waiver, waiver claims. You know, he could turn out. We do have a, a, a need for some quality players in safety. So anything he can bring will be a plus. And if it doesn't work out, they can get rid of him pretty easily. So, I, you know, I, I'm not really – obsessed with that with that waiver claim but yeah it should be interesting to see if he kind of brings that same attitude here with lovey smith i would love to be a fly on the wall when they discuss his participation <laughs> on special teams <laughs> 
yeah, and that's what kills me. It's like the best safety in the league is also a punt returner, too. <laughs> right, right. And, and it's mad when they take them off punt returner. <laughs> uh, Danny, NFC South? I, You know, this... I'm partial and I'm biased to it, but I really like the the Falcons offseason. I think, you know, in addition to having a good draft, I think bringing in Dan Quinn is going to be a huge for them. I actually yeah. really – I liked their staff. I like the staff they put together. Like, you know, Raheem Morris, I think that's an underrated move. I think that, you know, I, I might be in the minority, but I really like Kyle Shanahan's offense. So sure. – um, Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't know. I, I, I like the moves they made. You know, Tevin Coleman, he kind of is a question mark, you know, in terms of what they'll do for the running game. But I think, you know, Shanahan installing the, the zone blocking game, I think um, I think Quinn is a really good coach. And so I think that is huge for them. And, you know, if you look at some of the pieces he's put on the defense with, you know, Adrian Claiborne, he'll play the strong side. You know, that's his role. Brooks Reed is kind of like that Sam linebacker that can rush the passer on third down. Um, but But, you know, those are kind of like – role player moves and then i think you know adding vic beasley in the first is going to be yeah. huge i think jalen collins could start year one potentially um and then you know adding grady jarrett in the mid rounds you know that's just a it's a smart smart good move by them i think he, he fits that you know sort of sea hockey defense that they're probably going to put together in atlanta so um i really like their offseason just on a whole and, and you know i think obviously having uh, Matt Ryan is a huge deal for them because he's, you know, potentially, you know, obviously with Breeze there, but he's 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 a much better and more established uh, quarterback than say, you know, he got in, in Tampa Bay and, and even still with uh, with Carolina, you need, you know, obviously, uh, what's his face? I can't remember his name now. Carolina's quarterback. Uh, oh, Cam. Cam Newton. Sorry, yeah, Cam Newton. You know, he's still sort of a question mark, you know, here and there. But um, I just think with sort of the pieces that the Falcons have on offense and, and um, the, the you know, they got a little bit better on defense, I think they could be one of those surprise teams that really contends this year. And, I, I you know, it's just bias. I, I really think that Dan Quinn's a good coach. So um, I think he's going to have a big impact on that. Yeah. And not to rehash because we did talk about the Falcons quite a bit last week. But, I mean, that might be the biggest – that Falcons defense might be the biggest – night and day group in the NFL from season to season this year. Because, I mean, they went from just a – I mean, and, and injuries played a big part in that last year too. But, I mean, they went from just a depleted unit that had nobody on – I mean, just anybody that could breathe could play front seven for the Falcons last year. And now all of a sudden it's like, hell, look at the look at the depth they have there. Look at the star power they have there, man. That's a – I mean, just you, Beasley and – I mean, it's just it's it's a good group again, and it's I think that's the biggest sea change of any one unit. If you look at any one unit around the NFL, I think the Falcons' defense made the biggest jump of any maybe single unit overall. Yeah, and when I look at it, it it just on paper it fits the defense that I know the best in terms of like personnel, and that's Seattle. Like it, it fits what they wanted to do. And so, yeah, it'll be really interesting to to see how much they improve if they do at all. Yeah. All right, let's go to the last division on the list here, the NFC West. Um, 
It's been a two-team race for a long time in the NFC West with Seattle and San Francisco, but it's uh, it's not going to probably be a great year for the San Francisco 49ers given some of the the changes they've gone through. But uh, you could see the Cardinals step in and, and uh, Danny, you know the NFC West pretty well. Who do you think? I mean, who do you think had the best offseason? Uh, yeah, I would say the Cardinals, I think. Um, I think they added to both of their lines. You know, you know, they added uh, – hold on, let me pull them up. They added the, the former 49er guy on, on the uh, guard. They added a Dockett. guy in the fr- – Darnell yes. Dockett. Mike Ayupati, sorry. Yeah. Um Sorry. Yeah. So they added Ayupati. They got DJ Humphreys in the first round. So they they made some additions to their offensive line. They still have you know Jonathan Cooper, you know first rounder from thirteen, who you know he could kind of make a big jump this year. And then they lost Dan Williams and Darnell Dockett, but they added a couple of guys that kind of could play some depth roles there. They added Corey Redding and Corey Peters. Um, you know they've got uh, T- Alameda Tamu coming back, and and so there, there's some solid signings and and re-signings there that they can kind of continue their defensive thing. I think just changing, like Stephen had talked about earlier, changing coordinators is going to be sort of the question. And are they going to be the same team on defense that they were last year? I think that was really their identity last year, obviously, you know, with going through three or four quarterbacks and barely scraping along on offense. It was really their defense that carried them. And they still have a ton of talent on defense, but that's kind of the major question mark. And so I think they'll go where their defense goes. And and if they can be, you know, elite again this year, then they'll be the team to challenge Seattle. Um, But if they kind of fall off and they can't really do the same things that they were doing with Todd Bowles, then then that's, you know, that's kind of where they'll go. So, um, but but I like some of the additions that they made, you know, obviously with, you know, the draft and, and free agency. So, they would be my team that probably got the mo- they they got better this off season. Um, you know, I I always like the Rams draft. I think <clears throat> Todd Gurley is just so good. I think that's going to be a good pick in the long run for the for the Rams. And obviously, then drafting about seven or eight linemen, you know, kind of <laughs> they stuck to their philosophy of like they really want to get tougher and up front, and they already have a, a freakishly good uh, front seven and defense. So. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, uh, the 49ers, I didn't mind their draft. I thought it was good, but they've lost, you know, they're potentially losing Justin Smith. You know, obviously, uh, Patrick Willis retired. Um, it's, are, you know, are those things that they can overcome? It's, that's the big question. Yeah. Steven, you look at the NFC West, your thoughts on it? Um, I, I, I wonder with the Rams, uh, I, uh, they signed uh, Nick Fairley, didn't they? Mm-hmm. The guys signed. And that's on a defense that was already, you know, damn near impossible to block at, yeah. at some points last season. And, and you're going to put him beside Aaron Donald. Yeah. And, you know, if that guy, if, if Nick Fairley can finally stay healthy for a full 16 games, you put him beside Aaron, uh, I, I just, once again, it's going to be one of those, how how are you going to get the ball off if you try to throw the ball? Yeah. How are you going to block all these different guys? Uh, you know, uh, Todd Gurley, uh, he's just a grown man. We we kind of talked about that. And, and they already had a, a, a very good running back they got last year. Uh, got all these offensive linemen. So, in theory, they, they can't be any worse 
up front on offense. And, and now it comes back to that age-old question of quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think they're going to have a, a bunch of firepower on defense. I think they're going to be able to run the ball real well. Uh, they just need a trigger man now, and, and, and their offseason will be complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like things that, that Arizona did as well. Um, you know, the Seattle situation, because of the Frank Clark uh, brouhaha, it, you know, a lot of people haven't really focused on that. But, but I do like, first and foremost, that they got Jimmy Graham. Yeah. Uh, I think that that may be a franchise um, defining move yeah. down the line. Even though they already won a Super Bowl and they, they went back-to-back and, you know, we you know how that turned out this past season when they didn't run the ball. Yeah. But, <laughs> Wait, what are you talking you, about? Right. <laughs> but, but when you're talking about a dynasty, I mean, they're set up now with a young quarterback and a young tight end that can grow with each other, something that, you know, when you talk about Russell Wilson, for everything he's done, he hasn't really had that number one wide receiver target or, or, or passing game target the whole time he's been the quarterback. Yeah. You know, a guy who can kind of dictate to the defense uh, how they're going to play him, a guy that can just go up and make a play for him. And now that's not to say some guys haven't made plays for him, but I'm talking about a guy that just every time they line up, you have to know where he's at. Mm-hmm. And now that he has that, it'll be interesting to see just how much more potent that offense becomes. And now you can't stack the box against uh, 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 Marshawn Lynch yeah. and, and, mm-hmm. and Christian Michael and all these other running backs they have behind them as well. So uh, you have that. Then you, then you talk about, you know, if Frank Clark, you know, whatever the situation may be, add to that already ferocious pass rush. And you got Tyler Lockett, who's also going to be, uh, uh, you know, probably play the role they were envisioning Percy Harvin to have. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't want to call him a poor man's Percy Harvin, but he definitely can get the job done underneath, you know, very fast, give him the ball underneath, and he'll take it to the house. Yeah. So uh, maybe they didn't make as many big-time moves as some of the other people, but I think the ones that they did make, including the draft, really set them up for, you know, long-term success over a long period of time. Like I said, this could be career-defining. This move to get Jimmy Graham could just make them, put them over the top as not just being – you know, a fantastic team that wins with defense, but, but but a juggernaut that has defense and a bunch of offense that you're going to have to contend with on any given day. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like, obviously, you know, anyone listening is going to say that I'm uh, biased against that, but, um, you know, the Seahawks were, I'm just pulling it up now, they were third in the NFL last year in points per drive, and mm-hmm. they were somewhere, you know, around the bottom in terms of red zone efficiency. So you add in Jimmy Graham and his potential double-digit touchdowns, and how much better are the Seahawks going to get on offense? Like, they could potentially be significantly better. Um, and, you know, the two areas that Russell Wilson kind of struggled in last year was the red zone and third downs, and that's kind of where Jimmy Graham makes his money. And so um, just add, like just to add him to the offense, and really, you know, they didn't lose a ton on offense. Um I think that is a big deal. Obviously, their offensive line is a big question. Um, they did lose two of their offensive linemen, but um, they kind of played with a cobbled together line last year as well. I think they, you know, they had ten or twelve different 
combinations on the line and they still kind of made it work. So um, I think they're going to go into the year kind of hoping for that sort of same sort of situation, hopefully a little bit more continuity, but, but yeah, I think the Jimmy Graham thing is huge in terms of what it'll do for their offense. You know, they're already averaging, you know, they're already third in points per drive. The Seahawks don't score a ton of points because they, you know, their defense, they just don't have a lot of drives. They, they, they have fewer plays than any team in the NFL. So um, it's, it's just a slow it down type of football style that they have but they're still potent offense and, and i think the offense got better so are they gonna th- I, I mean are they gonna th- how much more do you think they're gonna throw the ball this year i've been talking you know i've been asked about that i don't think they're gonna throw the ball a ton more what i think they're going to do is you know complete the ball more yeah i think that you know i think his you'll see russell wilson's completion percentage inch up a little bit last year they talked about well, getting him to- a pretty good 63 percent yeah, I mean, it was already good, but they talked about all year trying to get him to 70%. So mm-hmm. it's for the Seahawks, it's all about efficiency. For, yeah. for Pete Carroll, they do not want to turn the ball over. He, he'd be happy throwing the ball 24 times a game, you know? Um, and that's pretty much, you know, 25, 26, 27. That's, like, been incredibly consistent for Russell Wilson's first three seasons. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at how many times he throws the ball per game. I don't think that's going to change. What I think is going to change is the efficiency in the red zone and the efficiency on third downs. And I yeah. think that's going to be huge for the, their offense in general. They're going to score more points, um, you know, and it, you, you see them scoring like three or four more points per game. And they're already a pretty dominant off- offense. You know, they, they ran the ball for 170 something yards per game last year, yeah. which was like 30 more than, than the Cowboys. Obviously Russell Wilson, you know, him, his running is adding, padding that stats and his scrambling, but, you know, everyone talks about the Cowboys' potent run offense, but the Seahawks were just dominant. So yeah. um, I think that is a big deal. I, I would agree with what Steven said. It, it could be one of those sort of, uh, I guess, defining moves for them. So that'll be really interesting. Well, it's just, I was just looking at the numbers for Wilson because we'd brought up his completion percentage. But his yards per attempt last year were 7.7 yards per attempt. And that's not bad by any means, but it's also the lowest of his career. And, I mean, I know his career is, you know, this that was only the third season of his career. But, you know, that is the lowest of his career. And I think now you you throw Graham into the mix. You've got you've still got Doug Baldwin. You've got a, a guy that I'm kind of interested to see who what he does in his second year is Paul Richardson, the second round, the wide receiver is the second round draft pick last year too. And it's, you know, that's – an an interesting little mix you've got at the receiver position there now that I think you you put Graham into the mix and it sort of completes the stew. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I need to make one correction. I was looking at the wrong stat. They're actually eighth in points per drive last year, the Seahawks. But I could see them going that going up a little bit this year. Uh, but, yeah, to answer your question, like to, to, to what you said, like they never really had a number one. So adding Jimmy Graham in there, I think kind of mo- he, he moves into the number one spot and he moves each guy down. In terms of, you know, Doug Baldwin or Jermaine Curse is no longer the number, yeah. the de facto, you know, number one. No, he's a, he's a much better, like, two or three type guy. Yeah. And, you know, you know you don't really know what you have from Chris Matthews. Obviously, he looked awesome in the Super Bowl, and maybe they found, like, a way to use him, and, and he can be a bigger factor this year. Um, Paul Richardson's probably not going to play at least for the first six weeks. Probably. And some people are wondering if he'll even play this year. Oh, so, because okay. um, he tore his ACL pretty badly at the end of the year last year, and so he's a he's a big question mark. But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean they have some interesting guys. They're more role players, but I think adding Jimmy Graham pushes everybody down a notch in terms of what they are asked to do, and that and that really fits more with what like they kind of have on offense. So now Doug Baldwin's more of a slot guy. Now, 
Curse isn't your de facto, you know, number one outside guy. He's he's more of a two or a three. And then you'll see what you get from Kevin Norwood, and you know, I guess kind of go from there. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I um, let's see. I wouldn't. I have to use this excuse to piss off the the people that follow me on Twitter. The, here's my concern about the Rams. What the Rams did. I love the Gurley edition. We haven't seen much success from that team in working in coaching up and, and bringing up young offensive linemen. I mean, you saw, you know, uh, you saw, you know, I think the biggest success story there has obviously been Joe Barksdale, who still is a free agent for anyone out there looking for a solid right tackle. <laughs> um, and his price tag has probably come down a little bit from uh, $8 million, which it was kind of where it was at in, at the early start of, at the early part of free agency. But, um, so I worry about that, you know, idea that they can just, you know, plug in those rookies, those, you know, mid-round rookies that they took on the second day of the draft and sort of complete, you know, the, the, the center. They don't really, still don't have a center. I mean, you're looking at Tim Barnes for your center right now. And then the other side of that, the right side of that offensive line is, will be completely new this year. And I don't, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing them plug and play those guys and get the kind of offense they want right away. Now that's not to say they won't down the road, but I, right. I'm dubious if they can do that, you know, this season in St. Louis and make a run at Arizona or Seattle in that division. And Todd Gurley is probably going to be on the PUP list, right? Maybe. I mean, we don't really know yet. No. And they're not going to rush him, but at the same time, it. You know, at the same time, it could be, you know, the, I worry, too, with, with Jeff Fisher's tendency to just ride the shit out of his running backs, too. <laughs> and and we've also seen a tendency in St. Louis to, to push guys back from injury. You saw that with Sam Bradford. You saw that with Jake Long last season. And I think that that's, you know, you've got to, when it comes to ACLs, yeah, it's it's not hard for players to rebound from a torn ACL like it used to be. It's not a career ender like it was. But if you don't do it right, it, it still is. I mean, that's, you know, the bottom line. Yeah, there are complications at times. So Yeah, I mean, you can't just throw a guy in there and expect him to be fine after eight months because Adrian Peterson did it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch all that. But we've had a good discussion, guys. This is we're uh, an hour and a half. I think we've set a new record for our longest podcast ever. So we'll <laughs> nice. throw in, we'll we'll throw in some bookmarks when I mix it up, so that Ugh. you know folks folks can listen in spurts if they want. So uh, it's been a, it's been a good conversation, and it's nice to talk about football and not uh, the legislative business of football for a change. <laughs> no doubt. All right, guys, uh, thanks again for doing this, and we'll reconvene next week. And uh, I, hope you, I hope you both have a great day. All right, sounds good. All you right, too. Yeah, we'll go.